0: And I was um, reminded this morning as our brother uh, was sharing about a, you know, the prayer list, praying for people. Some years ago in uh, 100 Mile House, we had a conference and uh, the saints invited um, Ken Fleming to come and minister the word. And so uh, in anticipation of meeting Ken, uh, I was thinking, I wonder if he knows... Uh, Pete Fleming. I'd be interested, you know, in assembly circles, the names are always connected. And so I thought, well, if he does, I'm going to ask him something about him. Well, uh, I didn't have to ask him. Uh, his, fir- his first session, uh, he told us that when he was in Africa serving the Lord as a missionary, he got a telegram saying that his brother Pete had been speared in Ecuador. And so uh, you saw this immediate connection. Well, he put me onto a book that he'd written uh, about his brother, Pete Fleming, the man of faith. And um, in that book, uh, Ken records that uh, Pete Fleming had a prayer list that he prayed for people by name, and uh, it was 17 pages long. And so we think of him as a missionary, but he had uh, an extensive prayer list uh some years later I saw Ken at um Emmaus and uh he said he still has that list. And um he said, you know, years later he would uh uh you know when he'd hear people getting saved in Ecuador, he would go to, to Pete's list and he'd see those names oftentimes on his prayer list, even though he was in eternity that his his praying for people by name it actually uh, had impact. And so uh, just an encouragement to to pray for people by name. It, it actually works. Uh, Pete, if he was here, uh, would bear testimony to that. Now, we want to think about um, the seven feasts of Jehovah. This is from Leviticus chapter 23, but we're not going to turn there first. I hope that we can um, uh, build credibility in this concept of studying the seven feasts of Jehovah. Now, um Sometimes it seems like just this obscure passage and not really, not really that connected to maybe the rest of scripture, but the seven feasts of Jehovah, the seven feasts of the Lord are uh, one of, at least at one of three passages that the scholars tell us we need to understand if we're going to understand how God is working, how He's working in time and how He's working in eternity. Um, we cannot overemphasize as we're thinking of even today of uh, making impact with our neighbors or impact in the gospel. Uh, you know, to quote C.S. Lewis, he said this: that uh, those who have made the most impact. He said, "You read history, you will find that those who have made the most impact in this life are those who are most concerned about the next life." And so, uh, this somehow is uh, is tied together. You know the uh We were reminded of this book by John Lennox, and he takes this verse about sanctification that the basis the basis for Christian testimony is a sanctified heart set apart, holy living well that's what the uh seven feasts of uh, Leviticus chapter twenty three were about they were holy convocations, you know I think a dozen times at least the Lord talks about holiness, okay, and so as you think about um Impact with your with your neighbors, and and we all want that. Hey, we want to be reminded that it's not how I'm the same as my neighbor that makes a, a difference. It's 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 how I'm different, how I'm set apart, how I live different. Now uh, we're thankful to be reminded that we can have them come in and and see how we live, but it's holy living. And so this was uh, Leviticus chapter twenty three. Um, then we also want to uh, think about you know although this is hard to. Uh, hard to understand the book of Leviticus. I mean, when you read through uh, the Bible, sometimes we we uh, have passages we skip over, uh, and maybe Leviticus is one of them. Uh, but if we think of how difficult Leviticus is to, to understand, well, if you say, what's the easiest book to read? Well, oftentimes people tell us the Gospel of John. We say that's true. The language of John's Gospel is is simple enough, but hey, the concepts are deep. Uh, in fact, Alwood McQuaid, uh, Alwood McQuaid has, he's with Friends of Israel, has a book, uh, entitled The Outpouring of the Spirit, and it's his commentary on the Gospel of John. And, um, he says that, that three quarters, more than three quarters of the Gospel of John is in the context of the feasts of Jehovah. So think about that. Is that, is that true? Is it, is, is it really true? You think, is the, Whole of the Gospel of John are more than three quarters of the book in the context of the Feast of Jehovah? Well, in fact, it is. Uh, Hey, if you only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you wouldn't know how long the ministry of the Lord Jesus was. It might appear appear that he had a ten-month ministry or something like that. You hardly know anything about it, but actually it's John's Gospel. That tells us that, or, or, or uh, gives us the alludes uh, or leads us to understand that it was at least a three and a half year ministry or around a three and a half year ministry, and that's in the context of the feasts that he celebrated. The Lord Jesus celebrated the four Passovers, and they're all recorded in John's Gospel. So, um, John's Gospel uh, built on on this on this concept. Now, we also want to be reminded that that. Um, You know, the feasts aren't just in Leviticus, they're not just in John's gospel, they're actually right in the beginning in the book of Genesis. And so we want to turn back and think about that, Uh, Genesis chapter 1. And we read this verse in um, verse 14. Of Genesis one, it says, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And um, we want to be reminded that this word for seasons is really the word for appointments and, um, if you're familiar with, uh, August Van Rijn's book on the, uh, feasts of the Lord, you remember what his book is called. It's called The Appointments of the Lord. You know, this idea of timing. Um, God's timing is, is perfect. But we also want to notice the accuracy of the language here. That, um, before the appointments, that these lights were given for signs. Right? And this is important. Signs. Uh, Signs transcend seasons. You think that's true? That signs transcend seasons. Like I, you know, come to Florida every year and the seasons are different. But hey, most of the signage is the same. You know, my mom was, uh, my mom was saved in June of 1974. Now she knows exactly where she was the moment she trusted Christ. She was sitting in a parking lot in a parking lot of a school, and across the road was a sign that said 24 kilometers to Salmon Arm. Well, um, that sign is still there. Uh, the school's changed, the parking lot's different, but the sign is still there. And so if mom tells her story, she says, well, there used to be a parking lot there, but you know where that sign is that says 24 kilometers to Salmon Arm? That's the place. And so uh, signs are more important than seasons. Now, we know that this is a critical mistake. When we think of the um, the sun and the seasons, mostly we use them for um, the weather. That's true, right? Isn't it? Uh, hey, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? I'm thinking of going golfing. Or uh, what's it going to be like on Friday? I'm going to go fishing. And that's okay, but, but, um, there's more to life than, than that, right? Uh, you remember that the, uh, Pharisees and the scribes, they came to the Lord Jesus. Remember what they said in Matthew chapter 16? They said, hey, give us a sign. A sign from heaven. And he said, well, I'll give you a sign. You guys use the weather. the Red sky in the morning, right? I mean, that's the phrase. Well, how does it go? Red sky in the morning, sailors. Take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight. Well, who said that? It wasn't a sailor, it was the Lord Jesus said that. He said that to those men in Matthew chapter 16. He said, here's the problem. You're able to discern the weather, but not the times. Right? That's the problem. And so, the order of scripture is signs, then seasons. Hey, interestingly enough, in John's gospel, what are his miracles called? They're signs. Meaning that they're bigger than the season, right? That that the miracles that the Lord Jesus did in John's gospel these would be signs that would transcend time. So what he did in John's gospel in the lives of those people, hey, he would be able to do even today, right? And so um, you know, people say, well, does he turn still turn water into wine? Well, we say in creation he does every day, but you know this idea of of um, of marriages running out of joy and collapsing, does the Lord Jesus bring joy back to marriages that are empty? Well, hey, that was the reason my mom was in that parking lot in June of 1974, because her marriage had blown apart. It was a disaster. That's how she would have described it. That's what caused her to go out that day and hear the gospel, she said, for the very first time. And so those miracles or signs in John's gospel, they transcend time. So we want to see how... um before we think of Leviticus chapter twenty-three, we want to see how the feasts are in Genesis, they're in uh they're in John's Gospel, they're in the epistles, uh, they're in the revelation, these signs, these seasons. So um, let's let's see John's gospel tied together with uh with the book of Genesis. Uh there's obvious the obvious connections. Um, you could say that Moses wrote um, five books, John wrote five books, uh you could see how um, you know the devil comes in in uh the third chapter in from the beginning and um, he exits uh he exits the third chapter from the other end you have those connections uh genesis 1 begins just like um, john chapter 1 begins right in the beginning uh god created the heavens and the earth uh, the earth was without form, while John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. So you have sort of that language uh, connection. Um, you have the seven feasts of Jehovah. Well, hey, John, uh, Genesis chapter 1 is seven. That's the divine number in Genesis 1. Um, hey, that's John's favorite number, right? I mean, if you think of some of the sevens of John's writing, that's clearly his favorite number. So you have that connection, um, you have the six days of creation, and on the seventh day God rested. Um, is John's gospel laid out in days? Is it? Do you think? Well, we think it's got to be the right answer. Otherwise, it's a trick question. But actually, you turn to it, and sure enough, sure enough. And and keep your finger here in Genesis one, and let's just uh, let's mark John chapter one as well. Uh in John chapter one uh, verse twenty nine says the next day uh, verse thirty five again the next day verse forty three the following day uh chapter two verse one on the third day now um we know that that um, you know, and this is when you see in, in, uh, people interpret that that um, you know the Bible was written in, in a Semitic language. So, uh, and we know this in English that when you get say go to a country that speaks a Semitic language, you can't do you know word by word translation. You have to do thought for thought because uh, they change the order of the words. Right, that the subject comes often right at the beginning of the sentence. So sometimes. When I preach in uh, India, it's a Semitic language. He has to let you complete your whole thought before he starts. So, if you end with the Apostle Paul in your whatever you're trying to present, he begins with that. And so, so hey, the days in in John's Gospel they're important. I mean, that's what John's thinking about. He begins these paragraphs with the days, and so that's certainly a connection to Genesis chapter one. Um, back to Genesis one uh, in verse three. And and so I like to think of it as a chart here. And so we'll go, uh, in in Genesis one, we'll go day one, day two, uh, day three. And then over here will be day four, day five and day six. And and so I know you've seen this chart, but just, just to move together through this, uh, day one is uh verse uh, three and it's light, right? That's what it is. So day one is light. Uh, Day two is water. And right at the beginning, we see that the waters were divided. Okay, So that's interesting that often through Scripture, waters are divided. You can think of lots of illustrations of that. So, so you have um, day one is light, uh, day two is water, day three is the earth, right? A- and then over on day four, again it's light, day five, again it's water, day six, again it's the earth. So uh, one corresponds to uh, four, two corresponds to five, three to six. So light, um, water, earth, light, water, earth. Now what about John's Gospel? Is that order in John's gospel? Well, if you turn back to John chapter one, um, John chapter one, uh, in the beginning. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay, so the emphasis of the first section of John is on light. Okay, well that corresponds to Genesis chapter one. Um, day two was water, and waters divided. What's the next section? John's gospel. What's the baptism of the Lord Jesus? And so um, what is uh, baptism a picture of? Well, it's uh, somehow connected in Romans to this division between life and death. Right You know that that 's the the purpose uh, you think of um a division of life uh, you know in in countries where it 's illegal to be a Christian. there are places in the world like that where it 's illegal to be a Christian often they uh, people profess salvation, but it 's not until when that the persecution starts well until they 're baptized. Hey, will you read church history that 's exactly how it was in history you know, when those people made a public declaration by baptism that divided life that the persecution started. So, um, corresponds, hey, that's the whole next section, the baptism of the Lord Jesus, and um, and so we have light, day one, we have water, uh, day two, and then we have earth, right, day three and day six, okay, and the world, and, and 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 you don't need to be told this because you already know it, but one of the main emphasis of the gospel of John is the world, okay? Um, Seventy-eight times he uses the word world, okay? And what he means by that is cosmos, right? And so, um, well, here's the verse, uh, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin... Of the world. Now, um, one of the things we see as we work through uh, scripture, that the devil is a counterfeiter, right? I mean, you can see lots of examples of uh, how he counterfeits things. I mean, in a coming day, he's going to have his unholy trinity, right? That's yet coming, and maybe a lot closer, I think a lot closer than we can even imagine, his unholy trinity. Well, he's always been a counterfeiter, Um Right since the very beginning, right back in the book of Genesis, you know, uh, God tells us that uh, in Exodus that if we're going to um, uh, build an altar to the Lord, do you remember there were a couple of qualifications, a couple of stipulations, commandments, ordinances. Um, it couldn't be hewn uh, in stones. You couldn't chisel them, right? They had to be stones as they were natural couldn't have a man's hammer, you couldn't shape these things. Uh, so that was one. And secondly, you couldn't um, you couldn't build steps up onto this altar, right? So it had to be unhewn stones and it couldn't be built up this idea that uh, men's hands were involved in this and there was some kind of a personal elevation with this thing as if a man could uh, get closer to God by his actions. Well, we were reminded of that in the Lord's Supper this morning, right? That it's not how it works. And so you think of the devil as a counterfeiter, okay, um, way back in the Tower of Babel, right? You remember how this worked? What was it built of? Well, it had bricks for stones, which manufactured by men's hands, and they had slime for mortar. So he's a counterfeiter in the beginning, right through scripture, um, we have creation in Genesis one, and, and so we see this crossover in the Gospel of John. Uh, but when it comes to world, this is where um, there's this mass, massive separation from the counterfeit of the devil. I mean, uh the Lord Jesus is called the Savior of the world in John's Gospel, right? In John chapter four, for the first time he's called the Savior of the world. Um the devil's saving the world too, right? Is he saving the world? Well, I think he is. Isn't he? What do you think about that? Is that too jarring, Mike? Ah, uh, Yeah, he's saving the world. Hey, they preach it all the time. Right? I hear it all the time. The planet. You know what the problem with the planet is? You ask Mr. Gates, and, and these guys aren't embarrassed about this. David Rockefeller, he's not embarrassed about it. It's in his biography. He'll tell you what the problem with the planet is. You know what the problem with the planet is? There's seven and a half billion people too many on it. That's what they got to do is they got to save the planet. That's what he means by world. Hey, when we come to Scripture, and that's the emphasis of John's gospel, listen, that God is... Saving the world, but it's one individual at a time. And so that's why you come to John's Gospel and you have these interactions with people. Right? And so there's nobody, right? Nobody outside, right? Outside of the love of God that he doesn't want to save, but it's people he's interested in. And so you have that in John chapter one. So you have these days corresponding, right? These days corresponding to Genesis. And we say that, um, that these concepts we're thinking about—that they're—they're going to help us to interpret all of Scripture. You know that it's not just Genesis and John and, and Leviticus chapter twenty-three. This idea of seeing these signs—they help us. Uh, they help us to, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, to—to to live for the next life. Um. I could say that. Um, you know, I come from, uh, Canada and I've never really been that interested in Canadian politics. I hope it's not wrong. I mean, one time I was in Mexico and, and, uh, the saints down there, these young guys, uh, they were, uh, they were uh, very intelligent, intelligent about their own politics, about American politics, Canadian politics, and so they're saying things like, um, you know, uh, uh, American politics are this, that's how all these things run, and in Canada you do this, and you have that, and, right, you have a prime minister, right? And I'm like, yeah. He says, what's his name again? And I'm like, actually, just a second. Normally I would know this, but because you've put me on the spot, I can't remember. I said, but in fairness, you know, he lives like over 3,000 miles from me, and I've never met him. So, uh, but I could say this, in the last uh, the last year I've been more... Interested in American politics than ever I was in Canadian politics. But you know, at the same time, hey, the feasts of Jehovah, these divine appointments, all, as bad as it looks, as bad as it looks, it's not outside of the plan, purpose of God. That He's working these things out and His appointments, they're exact. I mean, I don't know if you ever read Sir Robert Anderson, but, you know, Sir Robert Anderson goes through and points out that, you know, this this date that was prophesied 400 and some years earlier, that that exact day was the day of the Lord Jesus. That Sunday afternoon that he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey was prophesied nearly 500 years before, and he said it was to the exact day. So he's working these appointments, and these are signs that, help us. I don't just want to be taken up with the seasons, but connected with the signs and say, hey, this will help us when we come to the New Testament. So I want to turn to another uh, story in the New Testament, uh, a miracle. Now, it's not called a sign because it's in Matthew's gospel, but it's a sign that helps us. Uh, chapter nine. And again, the purpose is uh, establishing credibility on eventually turning to Leviticus chapter 23. Now, not today. We won't do that today, but next Sunday and the Sunday after, Lord willing. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. It says, well, in verse 18, well, he spoke these things to them. behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind, touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose, and the report of this went out into all that land. Now, um, one of the unique, unique parts of this or uh, the uniqueness of this miracle is that uh, it's really two miracles side by side. It's a story that's joined together. And interestingly enough, this is what makes it very rare, is that these two incidents are always connected together in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And now that makes it very rare. You know that um, oftentimes uh, some of the miracles that are recorded in Matthew are not recorded in Mark. They're not recorded in Luke. Sometimes they're in two. Very rarely are they in all three. Uh, in fact, there's only one miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, right? And that's the feeding of the 5,000. But So this idea that these two are always in the same order, always linked together, makes them unique or makes this situation or this miracle unique. So um, um, what what's going on? Well, um, I guess we could say this. You know, uh, sometimes in in christianity uh uh in christianity you know the the idea of the the sovereignty of god in salvation is is emphasized you know this idea that you know uh, god saves whoever he wills and uh we really don't have much we can do about it uh and and so sometimes you hear that emphasized and and then you'll hear other groups that that uh, emphasize uh, human responsibility Right? You know, this idea that that's what's important, human responsibility. Uh, we know in scripture, in this, this story, these two are always connected together. You know, in one, uh, one miracle, um, hey, the Lord Jesus did all the work. I mean, uh, Jairus, he, he's called it another, another gospel, uh, his daughter, he could do nothing. She died. In that, in that account, the Lord Jesus did all the work. But in the story of the woman, uh, she did all the work. It seems like she came up with the plan herself and she worked it out. I mean, he's just sort of passing by and uh, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and um, she's made well, right? She felt immediately, uh, another gospel tells us, she felt in her body that she was healed. Now, um, we ask the question, where did she come up with this idea, do you think? Uh, sometimes people say, well, it's just a superstitious thing. Uh, well, no, um, the Lord Jesus commends her for her faith, and so we know from Romans chapter 10, uh, from the writing of the Apostle Paul, that faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. So did she have a verse for this? Did she have a verse connected with this idea of signs first before seasons? Well, you know, we've already been reminded that way back in Genesis chapter 1, uh, the sign, the sun is a sign, right? The sun, the sun is a sign before it's connected with seasons. Before it's connected with our calendar, it's connected with being a sign. You know, we were um, reading in uh, Malachi chapter 4 this morning. You know how Malachi ends? When I mean, we had the first part of chapter 4 we had the first part of chapter 4 but you know how the chapter almost ends it says this the um son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings now the word for son is a uh, s u n but but we notice that it's capital so it's a capital s and And so, what does that mean? That means it's a title for deity and, and and so it says this that the the old testament you know begin begins with the son as a sign, and it ends with the declaration that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and so it appears to me that that um in her ailment that had gone on 12 years, searching through scripture, she came to this verse and um, had this declaration from God that the son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. You know what the word for wings is? You look it up in Strong's? Guess what it is? The hem of his clothing. It could be translated Hem. So she reads this verse, potentially reads this verse from the Old Testament, knows from Genesis 1 that more important than the sun being for seasons and governing seasons, it's for a sign. And then she reads how the book ends, and almost the last verse that she reads says that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his garment or outer extremity. And so she says to herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I would be made well. Hey, you could say this from Matthew. Um, just turn over a couple. Of, I'm in nine. Just turn over a couple of pages, and you think about um, testimony. Uh, testimony. Uh, uh, a testimony. We're reminded of ministering to our neighbors. Okay, and so um, you know, telling them how you got saved, telling them how the Lord saved you. Um, you know, I think she told her testimony in, um, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 34 says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out all, or they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick. Notice this? And begged him that they might only touch the him of his garments and as many as touched were made perfectly well maybe that's based on her testimony or maybe based as well on uh Malachi chapter 4 but this idea that that this concept of signs it's it's not just um ultra spiritual it's actually practical you know this idea that that um, what she experienced hey countless millions since have i mean this is why the the songwriter, the hymn writer, talk about how the Lord had touched them. Hey, there's healing connected with touching Christ, coming in contact with Him. You know, that's the gospel message that we preach. You know, I love, um, uh, preaching the gospel to children and inviting them to enter into a relationship, their own relationship with the Savior. Um, we have a camp in Hunter Mall and it has, um, three sections like this, but they're more confined. And, and so the cabins, when they come in, sometimes they'll take up this row and part of the next and so on all the way to the back. And, um, I remember there's a girl sitting in this chair right here. It's kind of more straight. And then there's another little girl sitting here. And so this little girl puts up her hand and she says, um, are you saying to me that if I ask the Lord Jesus to save me right now, He will? I think, man, that's a good question. Certainly wouldn't want to get that question wrong. And so I have to think in my mind, is there a, is there a verse that says that? And I'm like, yes, I am saying that. When she asked the question, I see this little girl right beside her. She's not looking at me. I see her bow her head like this, close her eyes a little bit, and I see her speaking with her lips. And I, and I don't know, but I can't help but think that she had an interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ right there where she was sitting. Well, that's what this woman had. She touched the hem of his garment, but it wasn't his garment that saved her. It was he himself. Virtue and power went out from him. That's one example. Now another. Turn over to um, Luke chapter 18. Now David Gooding in his um, book on the Gospel of Luke tells us that, um, points out to us, that from Luke chapter 9 onward, from Luke chapter 9 onward, the Lord Jesus is on this journey. It says he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. And so David Gooding goes to great length to show you how he's moving, 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 moving. All the words are about him moving. He's going to the cross. Um, in uh, 18, Luke 18, verse 35, he says, "Then it happened as he was coming." this is a word of moving near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, notice this, saying, Jesus, Son, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, um my grandson was here, and I would talk to him about um, Jericho. He loves Jericho. What do you think he loves about Jericho? Well, he loves Joshua. He loves that story. You know, and so if you mention Joshua, he mentions Jericho. You mention Jericho, he mentions Joshua. Now, it's not all those names and stuff, you know, in the book of Joshua. He doesn't really go for much of that, but he really loves the story of when Joshua was around the walls of Jericho. And so, if I would read this story to him, he, I read the word Jericho, he thinks of Joshua. What was the greatest day in the whole account of the book of Joshua? You know, there was a day. There was a day that was like no other. Uh, it's in chapter 10. Uh, the enemies of the Lord's people, Joshua's fighting them, and he's vic- gaining victory. And then... Um, Uh, It says he ran out of daylight. And so he knows that, hey, if he comes back tomorrow, he might not have the upper hand. And, And so he does what any man of faith would do. He says, son, stand thou still. You know what happened? The whole solar system stopped. And the Bible says there was never a day like it. Well, except till here. There's a blind beggar begging by the roadside. The savior, the emphasis is on him moving, moving, moving. He cries out, son, David have mercy on me. Notice what it says? It says Jesus stood still. Hey, he's interested. I don't know where each one of you are at, but hey, the Savior, He's interested in us. And so these signs, this is what the Bible's about. You know, um, Graham Scroggy says this: that that creation, and we marvel and wonder the creation of God, like David. Right? David wondered. He was he was awed by the awesomeness of creation. He says that, you know, he says, I triumph in Psalm 92. I was reminded of that this morning as we were reading about the great works of the Lord, according to David. Marveled at the awesomeness of creation. He says that in uh, Psalm 92. But he also says this, but it's your work that made me glad. The word for work is different than works. Uh, The word for work that David uses is your one-time act has made me glad hey we marvel at the creation of god and we see it in genesis and we see it in john and we see it in the feast of leviticus chapter 23 and we see it in the revelation but what makes the heart glad is interaction with the savior himself and and so hopefully the signs point us to him because ultimately at the end of the day that's what's going to matter our relationship with christ let's close with a word of prayer father we're i'm thankful for your word we uh, pray that you would um, challenge our hearts today, uh, that you would help us as we think about Christ to be uh, drawn to him and um, that we could be a help to those around us, help to our, our friends and our, our neighbors. We're thankful to be able to pray uh, for each other and to pray for those who you bring into our lives. And so we uh, just um, uh, cast ourselves upon you today for your blessing. And um, bless each family that's represented here, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.